Welcome to Careers Unwrapped, where we delve into real-life career stories from successful people who've been through it all, the ups and the downs. We'll get their raw, honest, actionable advice and be the careers talk they wish they'd had when they started out. As someone who has had a varied career, from soldier to salesman, expedition leader to entrepreneur, he knows firsthand that your career doesn't always lead you where you expect it to. Here's your host, Mark Fawcett. Hello. And welcome to Careers Unwrapped. I'm your host, Mark Fawcett. And with me today is Kalon Parks, who's an officer in the Metropolitan Police. So we're going to be discussing a number of things, uh, what the life and career of a police officer is really like, the highs and the lows, the challenges, the successes. Kalon joined the force through the initial police learning development program. He's worked as a response officer in Lambeth, as a dedicated war officer in Southwark. And along with sharing his own personal journey. He's going to be talking, hopefully, about how the Met is tackling the issue of diversity in the force and also offering some inspiration to those of you who are just figuring out your own career direction. So, Kalon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I think let's start out at the beginning. Why the police? What was the motivation and the start point that got you onto the journey of saying, I'm going to join the police? Well, <laughs> I'll be entirely honest because that's what we want. I never aspired to be a police officer. <laughs> like when you hear certain families or certain careers, you hear, oh yeah, my uncle is a laborer and you've got into construction. Oh, this person is close to you. But no, I had no one. I used to work as a nursery practitioner. I used to work in nurseries, believe it or not. Uh, transferable skills, yes. But I used to see kids coming in with bruises, with cuts. And I used to think, okay. But then when their behavior started to change, that's when I thought there's a point of intervention. Obviously, there's social services, but they're inundated with their own work. So I just ran, decided to work with youth as a police officer. And I'm a kinetic learner, so I thought, hmm, let's try this. Uh, what was the reaction? If that was a, almost a surprise to you, what was the reaction of your friends, your family, when you said, I'm going in the police? It wasn't a disgust thing initially. I've just randomly told them, by the way, I'm a fed now. <laughs> but when I went through the training, a lot of them were skeptical. They're like, why did you go to the dark side, X, Y, Z? But they had their own personal transgressions with police or their own beliefs, which is fine. I'm not here to invalidate. I didn't really have a bad view. So I thought, hmm, I'm going in there with my eyes open. The black community, I'm Jamaican. They must have thought Darth Vader or something. They did not like it at all. It was why would you join that institution? Not me as a person, but they didn't see the institution, the organization, for example, to be something that protects them or looks after them because of their personal transgression. But they're historic things. So it was kind of hard to separate their personal past experiences with what I was going through at that time. But they dealt with it well. Um, my friends, if it wasn't for them, I don't think I would have lasted as long, to be entirely honest. And you then went into the training. So what actual process did you have to go through to get selected and then train? Because I know there's many different routes you can take into the police. What was your own experience? So for me, seven, eight years ago, I was working on my break, disgruntled with everything. When you job search at your current job, that is a sign it's time to leave, by the way. So I randomly on my break was like, police officer, all right. So I applied online. They said, oh, thank you for your application. You'll hear from us very soon. Within two days, they said, oh, 
do this Apollo is behavioral test, which is a test of your personality in a sense, your priorities. So I've never done that before, never studied for it. Don't know what they're looking for. It was asking me about whether I like to work by myself or with a team. Would I stay late? Is emotional intelligence important to me? Is helping others important to me? Like slightly agree, strongly agree, stuff like that. And then I did it not knowing if there was a right or wrong. I didn't know how I felt once I finished it, to be entirely honest. And then next week, you know, about a week later, you've passed. I'm like, oh, okay. They said they want to invite me in for my day one and day two assessment, which is fitness, etc. And I did that and I did my maths and English assessment. And then they said, Kalon, we've got three training institutes, Richmond, which is closed down now, Hendon, which is northern London. And the other one, I can't remember where it was, Marlow House, Sidcup. And then I chose Richmond because I wanted to go out of my area. And that was interesting. Did my initial police learning development program from there. Learned about the legislation needed for policing because I know there's misconception that you need to know legislation. Nope, I had no clue. <laughs> I joined like a blank slate. And yeah, I did two exams whilst there. Over the space of eight weeks, they taught me everything I knew in terms of robbery, theft, uh, missing person, everything. Then they said, oh, which bar do you want to work in? Now, word to the wise, do not work where you live. <laughs> so, I've, um, I've said, I want to work two boroughs away from where I live. And I did that. So they said, oh, Lambeth. They took me to Lambeth and that was it. Started as a response officer and did my two years, well, signed off in a year and a bit, showing that I was capable. And yeah, the rest of the career is history. And what does that feel like then? So you've done only eight weeks training. You go to your borough. You're out on the street pretty quickly in uniform. Can you remember what that felt like the first time you're either going on a response or you're on the street or in a vehicle coming into contact with members of the public in uniform for the first time? What was it like? So when you're in uniform, the public assume that you know everything. And I wasn't used to that. I wasn't used to people coming to me asking me questions or just being nice in a certain way, it made me suspicious. But being in uniform changed the way that people perceived me. So for example, there was a short time that I was in Kennington. I had to learn about certain things, Kennington Police Station. And when I got my independent patrol status, I was like, oh, let's go walk out. So me and a few colleagues walked out together and someone asked me a question and it was about directions. And in my head, I'm like, no clue where I am. And now I'm in Kennington. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm being entirely honest and I've explained to them, by the way, I'm so new that my boots don't even have a crease. And they look at me going, oh, yeah, but you should know. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not from this area. So it was devastating not to know some things. But at the same time, it's nice that people looked at you and asked you questions and you developed that knowledge. I could say I did feel uncomfortable at the start, though. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. But you have to assume the role that you're doing. For example, being in the police car. For the first time, I was like, why is everyone looking at us funny? Not in my head. That is the big highlighted vehicle. That's just police. I have a familiar experience from a different angle because many, many years ago I was in the army and people react to you as one way. But when you've got the uniform on and often a weapon in your hand as well, then you see something in their eyes that's very different when they're looking at you, whether you're in the UK or whether you're on operations. And you experience that in a different way but it resonates very much so you spent two years there and i'm interested 
to try and get on skin of what you go through in the job. So in particular, any highlights that stick with you, perhaps because you were scared and perhaps others because it was exciting, it was rewarding. What real life incidents can you bring to life for us? So another common misconception, police officers don't get scared. I don't know where this came from, but I was born a human, not a police officer. So I've been scared on numerous occasions. I won't sit here and lie more than I can count, as you can imagine. But when a call handler who's listening to an emergency call is listening to the fear of that person, and you can hear the fear of the call handler giving the call out to officers, that was the first time that I truly see fear of the unknown. So you're on your way to an emergency, you're listening line by line what's going on. So therefore, your mind falls into what's happening or it forms it. So I think going to my first actual emergency call, whatever miles per hour, my brain was not with me at that time. When you're outside and you've heard that there's kids inside and you can hear the pain inside and then trying to get through a certain door. But the most scared I can say is force an entry into an address because you don't know what's behind that door. So yeah, even though you're scared, you kind of get on with it. And that's what I think the definition of strength is in that case. It's been throwing myself towards unknown dangers. And even though I am scared, still dealing with it. And I guess the reliance in a situation like that with the team you're with, whether it's just one partner or whether it's a larger team, you've got to know that they've got your back. Yeah, I'm very honest. I say what I like, what I don't like, and they do the same. So for example, I was new, sudden death, so dealing with dead bodies is not something I'm experienced with. I threw myself at those calls, whereas I knew that a colleague had done too many. So you just vocalize that and someone else will take that from you. So we all have our strengths, we all have our thresholds, and some people can deal with gore and blood more than others. Some people have got time for children like I do, so I'm sent towards missing kids and stuff like that. We've all got our strengths, but it's all about the ability to say, I don't know how to deal with this, or I can't deal with this, or prefer not to deal with this. And in response team, there's about 40 of you. So someone's going to know how to deal with it or want to deal with it. And what about the more high five moments, the, the ones who are going, we nailed that. We've really delivered or achieved something today. What sort of examples might bring that to life? For me, there's quite a few because like, I know this sounds weird, but you become numb to the things that you're doing. Like going to a call, oh, yes, you did CPR, but to me, that's now my job. So I'm not looking at it for the value of what it actually is. The best moment I felt was bringing the baby back to life through CPR. It's a delicate, hard, emotional situation when you've got a parent standing there within arm's length who's trying to help you but are hindering you because of their care. Um, yeah, baby was choking on, I think it was a TP coin and yeah, got it out. Baby is changing colour from blue back to normal. I'm like, yes, I don't have kids, but I can imagine that is one of the best feelings ever. <laughs> and also suicide prevention. Um, people don't realise they still were suicidal. So me having talked someone out from a point of crisis to, do you know what? We'll see each other again. And when we see each other, I want you to make sure that you're doing this, this and this. Make sure you join a sports club and stuff like that. Just giving them a small milestone. And then seeing that that person's become successful about three months later and they recognize you. It's nice that you kept that life. So, yeah. So in a response team, you go into work each day and you have no idea whether you're going to be going home 
that night with a big smile on your face or going home that night just needing a hug from someone. And so you've got to be able to really just take the unknown and the unexpected as it comes along. Yeah, I can say it's been an interesting one where not all the calls that you go to are as described. So, for example, <laughs> I'm Jamaican. The Jamaican community, we like to play dominoes. However, we use wooden tables and we smash those dominoes. And we're very loud and laughing because that's the way we are. But neighbor of someone within Lambeth called and said, oh, my neighbor's being beaten up. So I'm like, by who? And it's explained in such a way that you would have thought that it's Resident Evil. I've got into the address and I go, smell food. Yeah, good food, good food. Knocked on the door. And it's a larger Rastafarian guy. He's like, hey, yeah, broke you out. And then I hugged him. And he's like, invited me in. I'm like, he's definitely not done what's happened. And they're playing dominoes. <laughs> and they're cooking Sunday dinner. And they're laughing and slamming dominoes. I'm just joking, but it sounds through the wall like something's going wrong. My ability to go, all right, we're going to sit here and eat. And how is everyone, by the way? And just developing their understanding of policing. And they thought that they were in trouble initially, but said, you have nothing to hide. Amazing. But then obviously to go to next door neighbor and go, you should try speaking to your neighbors more often. <laughs> so very So you'll have worked with obviously lots of different officers, lots of different colleagues, all types, all attitudes. What are the qualities that you've identified over time now that you think make a really good police officer? I can say people think policing is all about arresting and chasing people when it's not. There's engagement enforcement. There's so many things about it. But police usually intervene at the worst moment or crisis point of someone's life. And what I can say is common sense, just the ability to go, wait a minute, that changes everything. It changes the trajectory of what you're about to do. You can come in very heavy-handed, but once you've applied a little bit of common sense, which is not common, weirdly enough, people then go, oh, this officer's honest and genuine. He might not know, or he's dealing with it as he sees it because they're humans. Emotional intelligence is highly, highly important because it can prevent someone from having a mental health crisis or breakdown or just an emotional breakdown. Just being able to enter the room, they see the uniform, might be a bit scared, but going, by the way, I'm here, what do you need? Just being able to assess the situation. Patience. If you ask one person how their day was, they might talk for five minutes. Doesn't mean it's not important. A lot of times that we attend calls is due to a lonely person or someone that's elderly. So not rushing people and having that patience to make them feel validated. And also the ability to communicate effectively. As police officers, use of force, that can include a baton, that can include a handcuff, spraying someone, but also verbal commands. If you can communicate effectively, I'm pretty sure nine out of 10 situations won't need you to touch anyone. Many, many, many of my arrests, I don't even use handcuffs because all you have to do is talk to people, go, listen, this is what's going to happen. I know, I know it's an allegation, but doesn't mean that allegation is true and like just humanizing the situation. So I just prefer to talk situations down. And with those sort of characteristics, are there people who've helped you on your career journey so far, mentors, senior officers, colleagues who've particularly had a positive influence on you? Yeah. There's the thing about it in policing, you are kind of not forced, but you're exposed to which skills you have or which you don't have and which ones you need to tailor. So 
I'm grateful for being around a variety of officers and having worked in different roles in the Met. I have been exposed to different people and different mentors and all, each have different strengths. So I have a number of mentors, but they all specialize in different things. Whereas street duties, when you first start, your mentor is a well-rounded officer who's there and great at teaching, but they might not be good at intelligence reports or certain things. And then you find someone that's within that realm. But yeah, I can say my chief superintendent at the moment, amazing guy. People look at rank and go, you can't talk to him. And he comes to me and he's so genuine that I know that I can speak to him about anything, whether it be personal or not. And that, in a sense, has made me understand to be when I'm a leader, to ensure that people around me are okay. And that it helps to make that healthy environment for conversation. So my chief superintendent, he's probably watched this and go, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Name check. Thank you very much. Uh, so you mentioned at the beginning that when you first thought, hang on, this is the direction I want to go in, that some members of your family, your friends, the Jamaican community, and although you say it with a smile on your face, they obviously seriously questioned what you were doing. But the Met has also, in recent years, had some pretty mixed press, and especially accusations of racism within the Met, accusations of prejudice in many forms, accusations of misogyny. How do you, as somebody inside that, feel when you hear those comments in the media? or from those who are observing the work of the police? So for me, I worked in Brixton for a couple of years. And every single area in London, every postcode has a different policing history. May it be positive, may it be negative. When I joined, I can say I was not equipped and I wasn't well-versed in the history of Brixton and how the Met treated the Jamaican community, the Windrush generation, all sorts of things, which is somewhat still ongoing, um, the relation tensions. When I joined and black people in the public were racially abusive to me, absolutely hated my existence. It took me about four months, five months till one of them said, do you know the history of the area that you're working in, the organization that you're working for? And I said, nope. And he said, go read this and watch this. So I did that. Ever since that, the ability to resonate with people it's been untold. Um, for example, being at a crime scene and they come and they insult, you know that's not personal. I've learned that it's not personal. But I'm not going to invalidate them and say, no, that wasn't me. It wasn't me. Things that happened before I was born, which is what it is, as horrible as it is, but I can't deal with that. But what I do is I tell them what I would do and just be genuine. Because the thing about it is they have a lot of frustration and I'm probably the closest thing to a police officer and a son at the same time that they've come across. So... I let them vent. And also you spoke about the, for example, media. I mean, it'd be interesting because media for me, it's like dragon fruit. I don't know what dragon fruit tastes like, so I would never go around talking about it. If the media has never been a police officer, I doubt they should go around talking about it unless they are a subject matter expert. Now I can feel like I can give advice about what police is truly like. Prejudice within the policing, you said about it earlier, it comes in many, many forms. Overt bias, stereotyping, racial profiling, and microaggressions. Previously playing football, people are footballers. They weren't their ethnicities. And I could say because I wasn't previously paying attention to different races, it wasn't a thing that I would ever do. Policing was the first time I was actually trained in unconscious bias. 
that's the honest truth. I started on a force, which was predominantly white. Not an issue. The officers on my team were very well sourced in how to speak to the locals, but the locals didn't like them, which is, it is what it is. However, there was a culture of instantly thinking that a black youth had done something wrong. I've had to address that. I realized there's a lack of empathy, which obviously fuels the public's opinion of us if we're going to a call and we're treating them badly. So it's all about the little things. Often when I challenge the white officer about their unconscious bias, they would say, yeah, but, and I'm like, it's not, yeah, but it's what I'm saying and what you're saying. It doesn't cancel one out. We just have to learn off each other. There's been times that obviously I'm quite vocal. So get called troublemaker and stuff like that. But I'm like, if we're doing something right, then can't complain. But that's also something that a black person is called within organizations where you don't follow suit. So I've been very vocal about transgressions, microaggressions, everything. And people have been more aware of how they speak to members of public and how they approach situations, type of force they use. But yeah, it's very interesting having learned this from the age of 22. Yeah. And from your experience, do you think the Met Police is now a better place for a young black man from London to go into than when you first went into it? Yeah, I could say when I first got here, um, for example, Gravesend, where they train officers to use firearms and public order and other things, see of white faces, but they're all men. Within the past seven years, I'm walking into there now and I'm seeing diversity. People are feeling comfortable enough to say, I think I made a mistake. Like people asking about stereotypes or rumors about cultures, people are willing to honestly jump into a space or learn about cultures that aren't theirs, whereas it was a bit fragmented before. It used to be this thing where it doesn't affect me, so I don't care. But now, I can say with senior leadership, with the rise of black people coming in, I say black is relevant to me, but there's different diversities. Yeah, it's a more fruitful place, and especially with the fact of careers, development leads. For example, we, as in the minorities, face issues when it comes to promotion. I used the career development lead who put me onto a training course and spoken to other colleagues and I've done my exam and I've passed my sergeant's exam. That wouldn't have been a thing how many years ago. I would have been supported. But now I'm in a space where I'm seeing change and when it comes to cultural change, it's there's learning that hasn't been done, but it hasn't been done yet. So it's healthy. They're letting me do things like double the outreach team. My department is all about diverse recruitment. So that wouldn't have happened how many years ago? So you talk about change there and, and you've just mentioned your role now because your roles have changed from your initial place as a response officer. So what is the role now and what does that mean a day looks like for you at work? So I'm part of the outreach team, which is it's a department within the Met which deals with what would I say deal with? I say we go to areas which haven't received police the best, diverse areas. We try to inspire those that have never ever considered policing, such as myself, or those that look like me, into policing, because we're trying to increase the amount of diversity within policing. And when people hear diversity, they think it's just race, well, this human race, they think ethnicity, it's not that. It's also females. Females are hugely underrepresented within the Met. So a day for me would be coming to the office, looking at venues, speaking to professional partners, for example, Job Center or 
charities that have just clearly gotten rid of people or during COVID, it was a thing of contacting airlines and saying, by the way, I see there's a lot of unemployed people. What can we do to help in terms of employment? And then talking them through the application process or setting up insight sessions, which we run consistently. But also, I know it's not always about recruitment because you can always walk up to someone and say, join, and they might not join. It's about breaking the barriers and dealing with myths about policing before they even consider it. Because obviously, like you said, there's societal problems such as family or friends who may also hinder your progress or your views or your thoughts. So you don't say it out loud. So it's about breaking the mold, really, and having those difficult conversations. And so do you know from your experience, or even if you have the numbers, how many people enter the police force from education as you know, their first job? They've got GCSEs, they've got A-level, they've got a degree, whatever their entry route is as opposed to how many just do it as a complete career change. They're working in a nursery <laughs> or they're doing something else and they just say, I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. I'm going to make a complete switch. Do you know, I, do, I wish I knew and I wish I can quit with that knowledge because all I get to see is how many police officers, police staff are in the job. I see the ranks, I see the ethnicities, I see the numbers, but also... It's hard to kind of gauge because you have retention issues. For example, retirement, people that are just coming to the age of retirement, people that want to change force. So whereas people come in, people go out. So it's hard to judge, to be honest now. But I wish I did know that number. And in terms of community engagement, are you seeing changes in the perception of the communities you know best about the police over the years you've been doing the community outreach role what's changing in their views so for example having been in Southwark which is quite a predominantly Caribbean area it never used to be a conversation within households Jamaican households specifically you could say I want to be a doctor they're like well done I want to be a lawyer oh well done I want to be a police officer what's wrong with you so <laughs> we're getting more emails and getting invited to schools which we would never go there unless there was a problem there. For example, Somalian community, due to their history in their country, they would never approach the police here. We've got Somalian police officers now who are now equipped and telling us how to culturally deal with and enter those spaces. And we have been. It was on BBC where we're finding Nepalese people who would never ever think of joining the police, going to them. We're going to places of worship. We're going to religious centers to speak to people and break down the barriers. But I can say there isn't an instant pitchfork and chase them out kind of vibe now. It's more like, so what are you doing here? And you stand there and talk. And they won't fully turn their bodies because they're a bit suspicious of you. After five minutes, they're like, got your arm around you. I did a photo shoot in Peckham, outside Peckham Pulse, for Black History Month, the first place that I worked as an outreach officer. And next thing you know, I'm standing there holding this book. It looks very weird doing it, but... Random members of public have come and put their arm around me and they know me because I've put for how long with them. And then their kids knew who I was and we had conversations. So immediately they're able to approach me rather than a few years ago, they would have been like, oh, police officer, run. So it's changing. And you're seeing that change and in a relatively short period of time, because how many years have you been in? Seven years now in the police? So that's a relatively short period of time to see that sort of change coming through. And if you could perhaps 
cast your mind back. We give you the time machine here and you go back to when you were 18, 19. What have you learned over those seven years that you might want to pass on in terms of advice to your younger self? If you could go back and say, look, do more of this, do less of that. What have you learned? What I've learned is find out the type of learner you are. Because, for example, I'm a kinetic learner. I'm autistic. So I find it easier to do apprenticeships rather than go to uni. School is judging the fish's ability to climb. So, for example, me being in school, I was a problem child. I went, but it wasn't my way of learning. If you sent me to do something physical, I'm aced in that. So it was necessary to learn what type of learner I was from a young age. And also know the source of your own opinion. A lot of people, for example, if I did just jump into policing after speaking to people, I would have had a bad view. But a lot of young people don't know the root of their own opinion. Their opinion is, oh yeah, where did you hear that? Oh yeah, my friend or Instagram or no, what's your opinion? So develop your own opinion. And that, I mean that about policing. That's the two bits of advice I could think at the top of my head. But also I've learned to fit, not fit in, but to know that I can do certain things is quite easy for, there's lots of times that I've gone, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I could never be a police officer seven years later. Look, at, I've done it. Like, don't shoot yourself in the foot just because you can't see yourself doing it. Try it. Try it. You will, you will succeed, honestly. And can you now watch a police drama on TV or a, a cop or crime movie without shouting at the screen about what they're getting wrong. Yep, of course. Do it all the time. My partner, she loves it. She loves crime stuff. And because I'm very transparent about the criminal justice system and stuff like that, she can make a well-informed decision and go, no, that's probably not going to hold up in court. What? Yeah, what, what should they do? And stuff like that. So she's developing her legal knowledge being a PT. But yeah, I watch a lot of crime stuff and I go, that's what happens. <laughs> and so when they make the movie... About you then, what actors should be playing the young Kalon forging his police career? I had hair when I started seven years ago. I don't know what happened, but as long as they play someone that is as muscly as me, probably Terry Crews or someone that's not vertically challenged like me. <laughs> but I can say someone that isn't a serious person, someone that laughs because I joked a lot and I was very unserious even approaching scenes, finding lighter situations. So, yeah. Okay. And one thing we always like to ask is, because we want to keep passing on this baton of careers experience along, is there somebody else who you think whose experience, whose career story would be really valuable for our audience, for those thinking about their own careers to listen to? Yeah, I'm going to say a gentleman named Kay Rufai. He's also known as Universal Soul Artist. A simple way of describing him would be a photographer. However, he's a talented soul. He's been inspirational to me. He's a motivational speaker, a poet, photographer, and a youth worker. And he created the Smiling Boys Project that was throughout London. It's been in newspapers. It's an emotive project using showcasing black youth in a positive light. It was created as a direct response to increasing youth violence and he took pictures and portraits of young black boys in their school uniform smiling and put it everywhere. And it changed the public's perception about 
young black people because they thought, for example, all threatening or criminals or whatever negative connotations they had. So for me, him, he's someone that's inspired me to do. And I did somewhat of the same thing for Black History Month within the Met. Well, that is a brilliant suggestion. We're going to be on his case until he says yes, basically. Caelan, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode. I think it's really helped take me inside almost feeling what it might be like to be carrying the responsibility of the uniform. And I think the thing that's come out for me strongest in all of this is how much of a human job it is, how much the empathy, you mentioned the patience, you mentioned the emotional intelligence, but it's a human role. And if you think you've got it in you to help engage other humans, to do it in a positive way, to do it in a way that can either diffuse the bad situations or bring some light in where it's needed. It could be a fascinating career route for people to explore. So for that, thank you so much for coming on, for unwrapping your career to date, and good luck with everything in the future. And it's been really nice to meet you. Thank you, Carol. You too. Thank you for having me on here. A lot of people see police officers and they don't even bother, but Every single police officer is different. They've all got their different motivations, different past, different cultures, different history. And it's appreciated that you've opened the door for us to be, be able to be on this platform. So thank you. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. This podcast is sponsored by We Are Futures. To find out more about We Are Futures and how we can introduce your brand, business or organization to the mass markets of tomorrow, visit www.wearefutures.com. Make sure to search for Careers Unwrapped in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Remember to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at We Are Futures, thanks for listening.